Welcome back to Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is session 15. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. In this session, we'll be looking at uh, Matthew chapter 9 and possibly begin chapter 10. We're going to see some more of Jesus' healings and uh, some pronouncements about, or at least one pronouncement, about what the kingdom needs. Short answer, it needs you. So unless you're driving, turn to Matthew chapter 9 and we'll get started with the story of the healing of a paralytic. Verse 1, he entered into, uh, he entered a boat, made the crossing, and came into his own town. And there were people brought to him a paralytic lying on a stretcher. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Courage, child, your sins are forgiven. Forgiven. At that, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. Why would they say that? Because only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking and said, Why do you harbor evil, evil thoughts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? Well, it's uh, easier to say, Rise and walk, right? Because a doctor could fix you, but only God can forgive sins. But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your stretcher, and go home. He rose and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were struck with awe and glorified God, who had given such authority to human beings, specifically to him at this point. And then he's going to delegate that to his apostles uh, very shortly in chapter, in chapter 10. So, uh, we see that Jesus has power. We've seen over the last couple of chapters, not over just illness, not over even just nature, but over sin itself. And uh, we will see yet another power later on in this chapter. So now we get to the call of Matthew, who's a tax collector. Why is being a tax collector such a bad profession. I mean, if you have a job that you work for the IRS in the United States, is that equally a bad thing? Well, what separated tax collectors in those days in, in the Roman Empire is they got commissions on what they collected. And so they wanted a tax collector would want to be extra diligent to collect all that they could so that they could line their own pockets with the commissions, if you will. So that's, and, and they were collecting taxes from the Jewish people, even though they themselves were Jews, and they were collecting taxes on top of the, uh, of the Roman, for the Roman government who was suppressing the Jewish people. So that was thought to be about the worst thing you can do. Um, so as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the customs post. He said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. While he was at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat with Jesus and his disciples. The Pharisees saw this and said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? He heard this and said, those who are well do not need a physician, but the sick do. Go and learn the meaning of the words, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. By the way, underline in crayon or whatever, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That is from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. It was not to say that God does not appreciate sacrifice, 
but he prefers mercy over even that. So we have a religious duty, and then we also have, perhaps even more importantly, a duty to our fellow man. So um, I like what he says here. Those who are well do not need a physician. The church has been defined as a hospital for the sick and dying. It's not a country club for the, for the perfect or, or the well-to-do. So if you ever do find that perfect church that everyone seems to look for, don't join it because you'll screw it up because you're not perfect. Neither am I, neither is anyone. Talks a little about fasting in verse 14 through 17. I'll just uh, summarize it. People are saying, well, why don't, you, why don't your uh, disciples fast? And he said, in essence, he says, because they're with me right now. I'm teaching them. I'm here. Let's have some fun. Let's have some joy. There'll be plenty of time to fast later on. And uh, that's true in our lives too, right? Because there's uh, there's times to put on a happy face and then there's times to, to mourn. There's a time for everything, right? Um, then we see a couple of healing minister a couple of healing examples starting with verse 18 in chapter 9 uh, when he was saying these things to them an official came forward knelt down before him and said my daughter has just died but come lay your hand on her and she will live jesus rose and followed him and so did his disciples a woman suffered hemorrhages for 12 years circle the word 12 She's sort of representative of all Israel, right? Anytime you see the the um, number 12, you can bet that there is some connection between it and all of Israel. Why? In the Old Testament, there were 12 tribes of Israel, right? So she's sort of symbolic of Israel, and she's sick. A woman suffered hemorrhages for 12 years, came up behind him and touched the tassel on his cloak. She said to himself, if only I can touch his cloak, I shall be cured. Jesus turned around and saw her and said, Courage, daughter, your faith has saved you. So, but it's faith accompanied by action. The, the lady did something. She touched Jesus' tassel. And so um, she was cured. So it's not just a case of, of, uh, of faith alone. Many times we are called to do something, and this is yet another example of that. Then we see another power that Jesus has. <clears throat> when Verse 23, when Jesus arrived at the official's house and saw the flute players and the crowd who were making a commotion, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. I, I can see why. When the crowd was put out, he said, he came and took her by the hand. So he touched her. Once again, we see yet another example of Jesus healing by his touch. So once again, we ask the question, who in our life needs a touch today? Whether it be a physical touch or just reaching out with a phone call or even a text or something. Hey, how are you doing today? Um, and so he, he cured her. I mean, she was dead, right? And um, so Jesus shows a power over even death there. Next, we move on to verse 27 to the healing of two blind men 
In Mark's account, there's just one. In Luke's account, there's just one. Uh, we don't worry about this. Perhaps, uh, you know, Mark and Luke just wanted to emphasize the, the treatment of, of the one. Uh, in Mark, the guy has a name. It's Bartimaeus. But, um, <clears throat> and as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, Son of David! So they, Son of David would be a, a term that could be associated with the Messiah. Have pity on us. When he entered the house, the blind men approached him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I can do this? Yes, Lord, they said to him. Then he did what? He touched their eyes and said, Let it be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. So again, it's the touch of Jesus and perhaps um, related to us, perhaps our own touch can be a, a method of healing others, at least of loneliness and things of that nature. And their eyes were opened. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. Why would he say such a thing? Because once again, Jesus doesn't want to be known as just a physical miracle worker because his ultimate mission is much greater than that. It is to show people that they can have an eternal life um, through, through him, uh, through his free gift and the acceptance of his free gift. But what do they do? They always do this. He tells them, don't tell anybody. Verse 31, they went out and spread word of him throughout the land. And then he goes and heals a mute person as well. Uh, and then verse 35, he goes to all these towns, teaching in synagogues, um, and all these people have diseases and problems, and he's curing them all. Verse 36, at the end, at the sight of the crowds, his heart was moved with pity for them because they were troubled and abandoned like sheep without a shepherd. And he's, of course, the good shepherd. Verse 37, then he said to his disciples, this harvest is abundant, but the laborers are few. So ask the master of the harvest to send out laborers for the harvest. Guess what? We are all laborers for his harvest, each in our own way. Each of us has our own talents. If you haven't figured out what your particular mission is, what your specific mission is, pray about it. Go to adoration. Just spend time before the Blessed Sacrament and say, Lord, what should I be doing for my kingdom? We should all be telling families, friends, uh, family members, friends, neighbors, etc. about you in our own way, at least by our example. But perhaps there's other things that, uh, that each of us, that, that you should be doing. Um, so we are all laborers for the harvest. All right, on to chapter 10. The mission of the 12. Then he summoned his 12 apostles. Again, why 12? When you see 12, you remember what? It's, it's sort of a symbolic of all of Israel, the 12, the 12 tribes of the Old Testament. So that's why there are 12. And gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to cure every disease and every illness. And then we have the names of the 12 apostles some controversy, which we've talked about in earlier sessions, about uh, differences in names. Thaddeus, who is mentioned in verse 3 here, 
um, is also known as Judas, son of James, in Luke chapter 6, verse 16. But for obvious reasons, Luke didn't want poor Thaddeus to be always confused with, uh, with Judas Iscariot, who is another of the, of the twelve. And uh, similarly, Bartholomew of chapter, uh, excuse me, of verse 3 is known elsewhere in uh, John as uh, Nathaniel. So Nathaniel, Bartholomew, same guy. You know, it's just like one person might call you uh, Judy and another person might call you, you know, Four Eyes or something. I don't know. You, everybody has nicknames or, you know, uh, other ways to distinguish themselves. So we don't get too worried about this. He says in verse 8, he sends out these guys, says, cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, drive out demons. Without cost you have received, without cost you are to give. Don't take gold or silver or copper for your belts, no sack for your journey or, you know, etc. Okay, we get it. What he's saying is, um, don't be too dependent on material things. You'll, you'll have what you need for the journey. Then, he goes on to um, verse 11, says, Whatever town or village you enter, look for a worthy person in it and stay there until you leave. Well, I guess we all stay somewhere until we leave it, right? Um, but he goes on in verse 14 and says, Whoever will not receive you or listen to your words, go outside that house or town and shake the dust from your feet. Amen, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. So yeah, we're supposed to proclaim the gospel, right? Of course. But there are some people who are just so antithetical to anything religious or anything of God, etc., that you know you you can propose it however you find you're able to do it, hopefully at least by your example. Uh, again, letting people know where you stand about about Jesus. But we don't get into fistfights, barroom brawls about this sort of thing, right? If somebody is ridiculing you, I just had somebody last night who just ridiculed the whole idea of God in general and said, well, the Catholic Church and 40% of the priests are pedophiles, you know, just incredibly wrong uh, statements. And so it was obvious that I wasn't going to uh, make any progress with this person. So I just said, well, I must be moving on. And I shook that person's hand and walked away. So we don't want to treat uh, ill will <clears throat> with ill will. Um, it's not up to us to judge their, their final outcome anyway. Perhaps the Holy Spirit will continue working with them. Okay, now here's a great marketing um, idea of Jesus to get new workers for the kingdom, right? Wouldn't you be fired up uh, with this speech, he says, um, verse 17, Beware of people, for they will hand you over to courts and scourge you in their synagogues, and you will be led before governors and kings for my sake as a witness before them and the pagans. When they hand you over, don't worry about how you are to speak or what you are to say. You will be given at that moment what you are to say. Um, and then he goes on and says in verse 22, you will be hated by all because of my name. So, wow. So I'm listening. If I was listening to this, I would say, well, wait a minute. You know, what am I going to get out of this deal? Because, 
if if Jesus was was a savvy 21st century marketer, he would be trying to answer the question, what's in it for me from an earthly standpoint, right? Now, does this really sound like the easy for me to say, prosperity gospel that many of our many TV preachers espouse? Um, where they'll say, God wants you to be wealthy. God wants you to, uh, to be happy. Well, yes, God does want you to be happy. And in a sense, God wants you to be wealthy, but not, not in terms of, of this uh, world, but rather he wants you to be wealthy in eternal life. He wants you to be happy with him in, in heaven. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, I don't think you'd have a lot of people signing up for uh, a recruiting recruiting speech that says, you will be hated by all because of my name. But what's the answer? But whoever endures to the end will be saved. Make sure you underline that, verse 23, especially the second part. Whoever endures to the end will be saved. So that flies in the face of traditional Protestant theology, uh, where a good part of Protestant theology says the their little mantra is once saved, always saved. You know, once you quote unquote accept Jesus as your personal savior, then um, you you can't ever lose your salvation no matter what you do. Well, let's read this again. Whoever endures to the end will be saved. I have known people who had strong devotions to Jesus Christ and were were very out there talking about it. Um, And then something bad happened in their lives. I know one gentleman, his spouse died and he basically was upset with God for the rest of his life. And he said, I'm going to do all I can for the rest of my life to tell people, uh, you're wasting your time um, believing in God and following God and trusting in God. He said, because I asked him one thing. I asked him, please keep my spouse alive. She's the reason for my living, which would be a part of the problem to begin with, right? Because we, we were supposed to love God above all people because, um, because, well, for one reason, God will always be there for us and the others will not. But bottom line is he didn't endure to the end. So it's not for me to say, if he had a deathbed change of, of heart, etc. But uh, at least from what I was able to perceive, he wasn't able to endure until the end. So whoever endures to the end will be saved. The last years of your life probably count a little more than the first years of your life. So, uh, well, you have endured to the end of this segment, and I see we're about out of time. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Dear Lord, give us the grace so that we too can endure to the the end. We know that we will have things happen to us that will uh, cause us to either turn more to you or turn away from you. And uh, we know that uh, for us to have eternal life, we can't turn away from, from you. We must endure to the end. So we ask that you give us the grace to, uh, to endure. We ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
Okay, so next time we're going to uh, continue on in chapter 10, and uh, we're going to look at a very strange statement or a statement that seems to contradict other things that Jesus says uh, elsewhere. He says, I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. So what does that mean? Tune in next time and we'll continue on with Matthew chapter 10.